Julie Van Warmer, and you're listening to a special bonus season of Unshaken called Unshaken Moms. These were all talks given at our Mom to Mom ministry at Christ the Word Church, and both the podcast that you're listening to and the Mom to Mom ministry are really intended to be a great source of encouragement for you. So I hope you stay tuned to listen to all of these episodes. Be sure that you subscribe to Unshaken on your favorite podcast directory. Our regularly scheduled season drops every Thursday, and our mom-to-mom bonus season drops also every Thursday during season five. So you're going to want to catch all of those. That's 24 episodes this season, which is pretty amazing. So today, our talk from our mom-to-mom archives is called To Have and To Hold. Have you ever heard that before? That's a big phrase that you hear at weddings as part of the vows, and actually getting married is quite the commitment, isn't it? Since over 50% of marriages in America end in divorce, we really need some good wisdom on how to keep our commitment to these vows to have and to hold. Today, we're going to listen to someone who's been married for over 50 years, which is crazy. In today's world, I, I love this woman. She's going to share with us some really great practical wisdom on how you and I should be thinking about and working on our marriages. So Diane Walls is going to walk us through four specific ways that we need to be thinking about our marriage so that we can have and hold this marriage and keep it going. So if you do the math, really, Butch has been my main squeeze for like 54 and a half years. So I guess I fit the, we fit the topic of to have and to hold. Um, there are a number of verses that I kept going to as I thought about um, sharing with you today. And I kept coming back to one, and the Lord just seemed to say to me, this is the verse. And I kept saying, no, I don't think, you know. But the verse that the Lord has given me to share with you today is Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And that verse in my head was for men, it says, as men sharpen men. But that verse really for my marriage of 52 years really kind of was an overarching truth that in my marriage, what has God done to me, done to me, for me, is sharpened me into the image of his son, Jesus. So I got out Butch's study Bible, and I looked to see if they had any comment on it, and it said, this saying probably refers to the positive effect of the interaction with others on one's character. And I thought, that's true. Who knows you best than your husband, good and bad? Your mom knows you. Your BFF knows you, but your husband really knows you in more ways than one. So what do you think of when you think of the word sharpen? Now for me, I think of knives. Now, I have notoriously always had dull knives. You can ask anybody who's ever come to my house to cook. But my children, a couple years ago for my birthday, bought me a brand new set of sharp knives, and I love them. So if you're looking for a gift for somebody or for yourself, nice sharp knives are nice. But I keep them sharp. I like them. And I like working with a sharp knife. Let me stick so I don't stab myself. (laughs) All right. um, In my marriage, in those early years, I didn't like sharpening that my husband was part of in many ways. Um, 
I liked kind of being dull. Do any of you kind of identify with that? If this is going to hurt, and especially if it's going to hurt my feelings, I didn't want to hear it. But sharpening is what God knew I needed to be um, molded into what he wanted me to become. And so through the years, he's used a young man, a middle-aged man, and now an old man as he continues to sharpen me. Um, today, you know, if you think about 52 years, I look around this room, and except for maybe way back there, none of you have been alive 52 years. And so that must seem like a long time to you. And it is seem like a long time to me. And yet, it seems like that. And those years have gone by. So the weapon that God used, and sometimes I felt like it was a weapon, was marriage to a man who loved me, but was a sinner, just as I was. And I've chosen four areas, there are many more, but I've chosen four areas to just encourage and challenge you in this morning as God sharpens your marriage. Those areas are loving and knowing Jesus, selfishness, communication, and forgiveness. When I was married all those years ago, I was not a believer in Jesus. I was a starry-eyed teenager who wanted to get married and get out of my parents' home for a multitude of reasons. And I very quickly realized that this wasn't all it was supposed to be. We had our first child when we were married about 15 months, and we had our second child when we were married just short of three years. And I was miserable. My husband worked up in uh, Trenton, Michigan, so he worked 10 hours a day, drove two hours a day, slept, you do the math. I was home a lot with a, bunch, with a couple little kids. And I, our families weren't very helpful for us to us either, so our marriage deteriorated rapidly. When we were married about four years, I remember we talked before Christmas, actually, of that year that if things didn't get better, after the holidays, we would consider divorce. Now, neither one of us really wanted to think about divorce. We really loved each other, but we couldn't get beyond the day-to-day -day of, I'm not going to do this for him if he's not going to do this for me. And so our marriage was in shambles. It was about that time that Butch said to me, well, let's go back to church. And I wasn't real crazy about it, but I said, yeah, all right. And, um, and so we went back to church. We had gone to church when we had gotten married in a little Baptist church. We had gone to church when our daughter was a child, but a baby, but not since then. So back to church we went, and God planted in our Sunday school class a woman who loved Jesus and talked about her like she, he was her friend, and I needed a friend big time. So I went home and dug out my trusty old dusty Bible and started reading it. And God, through the Holy Spirit, drew me to Jesus. I saw myself as the sinner in this marriage that I was and that I needed a Savior. So when January came around, I was a different person. I was committed to doing what God wanted to be our marriage to be. And I knew that that wasn't, uh, didn't include divorce. So... Um, did our marriage have any problems after that? No, you all know that that's not the case. You still have to deal. You're still committed to each other, but there's still two sinners living in this relationship. 
But one of those ways that I think God used in our marriage was we never, ever considered divorce again. We never thought about it. We never talked about it. Because even though we had arguments, even though there were battles, even though there were sometimes unkind words and fully spoken, it, we realized that it was not the opportunity to shuck it all and start out with someone new. And you may think, well, that's only words. But if it's true in your heart, and you want your marriage to be a picture of how Jesus loves the church, and how Jesus was faithful to the church and his people, then you want your marriage to reflect that. So it really does make a big difference in your marriage. You can be mean, you can be angry, you can you can say things that you wished you wouldn't have said, but you work them out. You go to the Lord. You ask the Lord to help you, to forgive you, and you live peacefully with your loved one. God saved our marriage through Jesus, and we weren't going to do anything that would tarnish that. So what about you? What about your life personally? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you see yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior? That's what I needed, and God, in his grace, showed me his son Jesus. Do you know him? And in your marriage, is Jesus the center of your marriage? Do you desire that your marriage be a picture of how Jesus loved his people in the church? If you do, then you will know what it means to grow in living and loving Jesus. The second area um, is selfishness. Now, the verse that I wanted to use today, but just God said that's not going to fit the whole thing, I have to tell you, is Philippians 2.3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. See, that was only part of the sharpening that God had to do in my life. And sharpening in the area of selfishness has been one of the biggest needs and the biggest ouchies in it. I am so thankful for the grace that my husband, Butch, has shown to me. And I can see selfishness through the years. I need I can see selfishness through the years. I remember when the children were little, and there I am giving them a bath, and I'm thinking in my head, you know, Susie's husband gives her kids a bath. Why can't my husband? Why does it always have to be me? Or I remember I would come home from work and drive in the driveway, and Butch would be home from work doing something in the garage, and the kids would be playing in the backyard, and I'd drive in, and they'd say, hi, Mom what's for dinner? And I think, why do I always have to make dinner? Or why am I the only mom who has to take four extra kids to the game? Or this is one, why, why can't my husband pack his own lunch? Doesn't he know how to do that? You get it, don't you? It's all about me. Why, why is this happening to me? Why are you not serving me? You all know the drill. You didn't. You aren't. You said. Why not? You do it. And any of these scenarios that I just happened to pick, pick out from my marriage, do you see regard or consider the other person more important than yourself? How does selfishness fit into to have and to hold? Well, the bottom line is it doesn't. 
1 Corinthians 13.1 says, If I speak with the tongue of men and angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And there is a whole lot of clanging going on in my marriage. In verse 5, it says, Love does not seek its own good. Basically, selfishness does not fit in to have and to hold. It's the opposite of love. It isn't love of spouse, it's love of yourself. How does selflessness look? I make spare ribs. I hate them, but he loves them. Um, he expects a meal every night at home on the table. I'd rather go out to eat. I make dinner, we stay home. Or he's concerned because he has to make a phone call and he's afraid it's an important one that he can't hear the person on the line. And so I make the phone call. I don't want to hang on the line for all that time, but I do that out of selflessness. It's Christmas, and he wants to go to his mom and dad's for Christmas, and I want to go to my own family, but I go to his. Tons of ways we can serve our husband by not considering us the most important person. Try it this week. I'm kind of a visual person or a word person. So say you take your hand and you know you have a right. Like, I really want this new, this Christmas present and it's really expensive and we really can't afford it. Put it in your hand. Or, um, see another one. Oh, I want to go out to dinner with my girlfriends for the Christmas holidays, but he doesn't want to watch the children. Put it in your hand. And offer that. Give that up to the Lord. Take those things that you think are your right and give them to the Lord. Selflessness. Um, change that I-S-H in selfishness to selflessness, L-E-S-S. You might find it so enjoyable that you'll do it again and again, especially when you see that smile in your husband's eyes or you get that extra little pat or he comes by and gives you a hug. You know that he's appreciated and known and he sees that you are giving of yourself to him. Try it. Try it this week. Communication is the third area, physical and verbal communication. Now, I think these two types of communication are some of the most vital in marriage and some of the most neglected. So let's look at the physical first. I remember the physical ups and downs in years of marriage. I remember that first, oh wow, we get to be together sexually, to a couple years later, I'm just so tired, I'm just so tired. I remember my husband saying to me, you don't love me because you're just too tired. And I would say, well, I cooked, I cleaned, I did the laundry, I had this whole list of things, I love you. And my husband would look at me with this little smile and say, let's live on love. And I would say, live on love. Yeah, sure, we'll live on love. And then I got to do the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry. And it became kind of a, a love banter between us. And it's humorous, but it shows the different ways that men and women communicate love. It, um, I had to learn what was pleasing to my husband and what said to him, I love you. 
Love is expressed in different ways between men and women, and we need to find those ways and explore them and use them to say, I love you in sometimes nonverbal ways. Those of you here in the beginning of marriage, let me encourage you that as the years progress, there's a comfortableness in giving and taking, in physical communication, in sexuality that comes by time and comes by deepening of the love that you share together physically. But don't forget verbally too. In my marriage and many women that I have spoken to, you hear he said, she said, he didn't say, she didn't say. But God, in his wisdom, in my marriage, put two very different communicators together. And at times, if I have to be honest, I would think to myself, you sure about this, Lord? Ah, but the sharpening. See, Butch, especially at the beginning of our marriage, was not a very verbal communicator of his thoughts or of his feelings. And me, well, let's just say he didn't have to wonder what I was thinking or what I thought. You get it, right? I just laid it all out there. All, everything was known. And maybe that's you in your marriage, or maybe it's vice versa in your marriage. I thought it would be interesting to give you a little picture of communi what communication looked like for us, and maybe that would be helpful for you. Butch would not speak to me. And I was smart enough to know that something was bothering him. And I'd try to figure it out in my head. And finally, maybe after three or four days, and the umpteenth time I asked him, is anything bothering you? He would say, yeah, you said something last week and it really hurt my feelings. And I'd think, I don't even remember saying that. It would, it is, often it was a miscommunication, not always, but often it was. And I didn't even remember, I didn't even know what he was thinking about. I didn't really mean what he thought it meant. My actions weren't done to get even or be unkind. But when you think about something for a week and you stew on it and you don't talk about it, it becomes a big thing. And, and it would have been much better to talk about it at the beginning. Now me, on the other hand, I would go on and on and on and on and on and on about something, and my husband would stand there and he'd look at me and he'd go, do you feel better now? And you know, I'd think, yeah, I do feel better. I vented, I feel better, and off I would go. But what did I leave for my husband? I thought of a picture of kids making a sandcastle at the beach, and they've worked really hard on it, and then the tide comes up, and the waves get bigger, and the wave does the wave thing and just wrecks the castle. And my words were doing the word thing. I felt good about it, but I was wrecking and tearing down my home by just blurting everything out and just going on and on. Communication for us had to be learned. He needed to learn to communicate, and I needed to learn to hold some of my thoughts in and just shut up and pray about it and think about it and not go on about it. Another big help, I think, in communication is to make time to communicate. 
I think the single most contributing factor to communication troubles is really basic lack of time. I see some of you kind of, you have babies that you need fed. You have toddlers that you have to corral. You have children that you have to teach or take to school or take to practice or take to youth group. And you think, well, when they get to be teenagers, it'll be different. No, because when they're teenagers, they hang around, they don't leave, they hear everything you say. So then you think, well, when they, get to, when they move out, when my child gets married, I'll have time. No, because like for me, I have two children and 11 grandchildren. You have more people around you. And when you're older, you have more ministry opportunities, you have more just life. So making time to communicate is so very important. We need that time. You need that time, no matter what stage of life you're in. And this holiday season is busier than the normal season of life. So I challenge you to make a date and go talk. Put it on your calendar. I can remember a friend of mine would have some struggles in her marriage, and I would say, you need to talk. Go out and talk. And because finances were tight, I remember saying to her, go to McDonald's, order a pop, sit across the table from each other and talk without anybody interrupting you. We need time. Schedule your date when your hus husband gets home tonight to talk. And I guarantee you, he'll be glad you came to mom to mom today and heard about to have and to hold. Communication in both areas gets much better through the years. I think that that's because after you have five or 10 or 40 years under your belt, you learn to really trust and love each other. This guy isn't going anyplace. I'm safe. And I know for my husband, he had to learn that if he was vulnerable f f to me, I wouldn't use that against him. I would be on his side. I had to learn and know what things pushes buttons, and I don't do those. I want our marriage to be in harmony. So I don't really much, after all these years, don't have to think, did he really mean it? Was he really trying to get me upset? Because I know him, and I know how he works, and I know how he thinks, and that will come for you too as your marriage goes on. Wish I could say that God was done with me in the area of communication. And, but alas, the sharpening goes on. But I will say I'm a quicker learner. I, I'm learning faster when, what to say and what not to say. So today, when you meet your husband, think communicate. I want you to think, how can I physically or whatever way your husband, sh maybe ironing his shirts is something that says, I love you to him. Do those things that physically, without words, communicate that you love him, and then verbally build him up. You might think, well, he knows I love him. He knows I appreciate it. He knows. Does he? When was the last time that you said that to him verbally so he could hear it with his ears? And then finally, are you willing to say, Lord, sharpen my communication with my husband. He knows me. He knows what's best. And then finally... Forgiveness. The first few years of my marriage, as I shared, were really about me. There was not a lot of forgiving thoughts in my marriage. 
Um, I really came into my marriage not forgiving my parents, so I had a whole lot of crud going on. And when I came to know Jesus, I said, Jesus, you have got to help me forgive my parents. I've tried. I can't. But God in his grace and mercy helped me to forgive my parents. So there I am, and I have a husband, and I have two little children, and they're around me, and it's still ouchy. And it still wasn't what I thought it was going to be like an Ozzy and Harriet family. Do you guys know Ozzy and Harriet? Um, no. How about um, a perfect Brady Bunch? My marriage wasn't that. It wasn't going like I thought it was. Not everybody was conforming to my, what I thought should happen. And then there's the Bible verses, one of which, and there are many, in Matthew 6, 14 to 15 says, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your father will not forgive you. Ouch. It hurts. And the sharpening began. And there are areas of sharpening in all of our lives. My husband knowingly hurt my feelings. I forgive him. My husband made plans to be with his brother on Christmas. I forgive him. My husband, I, I asked him to fix that sink. He never fixed the sink. Now the thing's totally plugged up. I forgive him. My husband spent money on an expensive, you fill in the blank. He didn't even ask me. I forgive him. My husband is so frugal that at times cheap pops into my head. I forgive him. I could go on and on, and I bet I could find one for each one of you here because I've probably had them all. But whatever the area, there's a need for forgiveness. God is molding you to be more like Jesus. Jesus from the cross said in Luke 23:34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. If Jesus could say that, and they're crucifying him, and he's innocent, can't we, his followers, be willing and even eager to say, Michael, Jimmy, John, Butch, I forgive you. In your marriage, forgiveness of your spouse and your children will bring a peacefulness that I can't name. I, I can't describe it. I kept trying to sit and think, what, what is that like? How can I describe it? You know, the only thing I could come, kept going through my mind was that song, It Is Well With My Soul, When Peace Like a River uh, Tendeth My Way, When Sorrows Like Sea Billows Roll, Whatever My Lot Thou Hast Taught Me to Say, It Is Well With My Soul. Forgiveness of your family and your husband will bring a whole new air in your family, in your home, in your marriage, and in your soul. So this week, you are going to have to forgive your husband for something. I, I just know it. Will you say to the Lord, Lord, okay, sharpen me, and to your husband, I forgive you. Another piece of glue will be added to your um, marriage. So in conclusion, let me get my, my things again. Sharpening. Sharpening changes. It changes throughout the years. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. 
and sometimes the sharpening changes. I used to use this sharpener, but one of my grandkids, or my daughter, gave my husband this little handy dandy thing, and it's a different way to sharpen, and it's so much easier, and I like it. And I like my new knife sharpener, but you know what? I love my old life sharpener. Let me encourage you in closing that with the three of you, with God, your hubby, and you, it does get better as the years go by if you are willing to let the Lord sharpen you year by year. Do Butch and I still see eye to eye in everything? No, I wish I could say that that's the case. Sometimes we still have heated discussions, but they're different because there's a base of love. There's a base, a foundation of fairness in which we discuss. Remember that part in your wedding vows we said to have and to hold? What comes next? Till death do you part? You don't think of that probably when you've been married a year, five years, 20 years. But as the years go on, the to death do you part becomes very special. It becomes a, just something that's cemented in your heart because you know and love the Lord and you see how the Lord has preserved and rescued at times throughout the years your marriage as your love deepens for your husband till death do you part. There are a lot of areas to be sharpened at Christmas time. So I changed our, our, I paraphrased the Bible verse. I said, as iron sharpens iron, so a husband and wife sharpen each other. But here's the question. Will you let the Holy Spirit of God do his work in your marriage? Sharpening is ouchy, but the final product is cutting edge beautiful as we portray before the world Jesus' love for his people and his church. I pray that each of you will celebrate 52 years of marriage. And as I look around, I think, wow, that, that would be so exciting. And I won't be here to see it, but your husband will be there, and your children will be there, and your grandchildren will be there. And that marriage will be so sharpened to display Jesus' love for his bride. That's what I pray for you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for, for the ouchies in my marriage. And I thank you that I know you are working in each marriage of the women here. Father, please help them in the area of knowing you, in the area of selfishness in their life, and unforgiveness, and in the area of communication. Father, help them. Help me. May we be molded and sharpened to be glorious, not only to our husband, but glorious and molded into your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for how you love us enough to teach us and to sharpen us. In your name, amen. Okay, I think all of those things that Diane talked about are so important in marriage. I also appreciate Diane's honesty that her marriage was not always easy and even now isn't perfect. I think women need to know that sometimes things are just going to be kind of hard, but we have to keep pushing through in marriages and we have to rely on Christ. Maybe one of those ways really hit you today. Remember those four ways? One of them was knowing and loving Jesus. Number two was dealing with selfishness. 
Number three was work on your communication. And number four was be quick to forgive. Maybe you need to work on your relationship with Jesus and knowing him better. Or maybe you realize you are struggling with selfishness. Or you lack communication and sort of just assume that your husband, what he's thinking and what he's doing. Or maybe you are struggling with some hurts from your past and you don't really want to forgive your husband. Hey, listen, I know that marriage is tough sometimes. I just want to encourage you to start somewhere. Work on one of these things. Maybe you could even open the door and talk with your husband about these four things and where you think you need to start working. Hey, you can reach out to me on shakenpsalm622 at gmail.com if you have any questions or thoughts, suggestions. I would love to hear from you. And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress because of God. Until next time.